0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black.
0: Today I'm talking with Lieutenant General Ronnie Hawkins, retired and current president of Angelo State University. General Hawkins was appointed the Angelo State University president on August 17, 2020. He is the sixth president of ASU and the 11th president of the institution since it began. Um, he is also the second alumnus to serve as president and is the first black president in the history institution. General um, Hawkins is a retired Lieutenant General and is internationally respected subject matter expert in leadership strategic planning, cybersecurity, military manners, and Christian discipline development. He has over four decades of business, military, and academic and
1: spiritual development experience.
0: First off, General Hawkins, thank you for being on the show and
1: welcome. Eileen, thank you very much for the the invite and look forward to the opportunity to uh, spend some time with you. Thank you.
0: You know, General Hawkins, you have been in public service pretty much your entire career, um, with a very, very distinguished military career. What inspired you to go into public service? What drew you to military engineering?
1: Well, the the thing that drew me to the military was my father, who, who also happened to be in the military uh, during my growing up years. I'm known as a military brat, that, that affectionate term that we we coin on individuals who are dependents of military members. But um, I, I watched my father growing up. And we, matter of fact, we were in Peshawar, Pakistan, which is where he was stationed at the time, uh, back in 1967, when I made the decision that I was going to follow in his footsteps uh, to go into the military, and particularly the United States Air Force. And unbeknownst to me at that time, my uh, found out later on that my grandfather, who happened to be a Buffalo soldier, uh, stationed at Fort Leavenworth uh, in the 10th Cav, um, was also in the military. So I, I would tell you military service is a part of the, the DNA, should I say, uh, of the Hawkins family. My two sons are also in the military as well and doing quite well. So public service is something that's been a part of my life all of that time. Uh, and then growing up the uh, from a Christian perspective and, and understanding what servant leadership is about, that, that just puts an exclamation point to it.
0: Well, that leads to my next question. Can you describe your leadership style? I think you just said a Christian leadership.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a servant, uh, servant leader uh, style. And, and, you know, obviously I tell you that, but I'm sure some people that have worked for me and worked with me in the past might might say I'm a micromanager some of the times, but it's dependent upon the, the need and the expectation and the mission that we have. But I tend to, to gravitate towards uh, being a servant leader. I recognize people. Uh, I've been blessed to, to be a part, around so many extraordinarily great people uh, to work with that uh, I've realized that when you let people work in their gift, um, they will magnify uh, the situation uh, for the better. So I, w- I would call it servant leader.
0: So you, you mentioned that you you sometimes alter your approach depending on, on the situation or audience. Um, can you share any story about a leadership challenge and how you faced it and how you got through it, how you altered maybe the way that you approached it?
1: Well, the, the, the one that comes to mind um, really quick is uh, being here as a president at Angelo State University in higher education, uh, something where I didn't, and still I wouldn't say I have all the experience, but didn't have any experience on, on how to lead an institution, um, the magnitude, um, albeit we would call our, uh, we are recognized as a regional university, but the size of, of Angelo State University, um, and, and you you all may be familiar with the the snowstorm that came through Texas back in February uh, where all of our electricity for, for all intents and purposes was was shut down. Um, and, and there was a time for leadership there, whereas uh, for the first six months, I pretty much let the, the people do um, what they had been doing in the past and felt comfortable doing. But during that time, it was, there, there was a period of time... Uh, where we, uh, my military experience kicked in um, and we just started doing things to quote unquote survive and, and make sure that we could make it through this winter storm. And when I say we, I don't just mean the employees, I mean the students that were uh, in the residence halls, affectionately known as dorms uh, for some of us who have grown up uh, during that timeframe. But uh, we had to take care of uh, well over 9,000 people uh, with little to no electricity on the campus.
0: Well, wow, what a challenging time for all of us. Besides the snowstorm, there's the pandemic, social injustice, it's just you know plain craziness these days. Um, this is impacting everybody across the world. People are looking for clarity and for communications and courage from leadership to know what to do. What does leadership from your perspective look like in a crisis? I mean, how did you alter? What qualities do you think are really needed during those stressful times, like you just described?
1: Well, Elaine, uh, I I would tell you that it it comes down to communication uh, and clear/slash articulate communication um, for everybody, and it's not just to the people who are working for you; it's all the way down the the chain. And and, and I recognize uh, during my time in the military the difference. Uh, between a crisis and chaos is leadership uh, and, and we stopped short of chaos here in, at Angelo State University and there have been other periods of times that that has happened um, but working in a crisis uh, and it is something that most of us do literally every day um, but getting it to where it's chaos is something, something totally different um, and so I would say communication and rich communication and now with social media um, being what it is, and if we use it in a positive sense, uh, it can also help. And in fact, that's what, exactly, that's what happened here. Uh, again, most of us can remember if we were in college during that time and some, some of us being parents of, of children who are in college um, or have been in college, we had to take care of communicating to parents, communicating to students, communicating to the staff, communicating to the faculty, communicating to the city, communicating to the, the folks that needed to get our electricity and water back on. So that all of those things come down uh, to communication and making sure um, that the message is received, accepted and, and understood.
0: You are clearly a strong leader. Um, you know, you were. Was there an event uh, or, or a person, you mentioned your father earlier, That um, inspired you to have a tremendous impact on the type of leader you have, and maybe you've even drawn strength from this leadership.
1: Yeah, well, there's there's many that that come to mind. I have an incredible amount of uh, individuals who have molded me, should I say, into the the leader that I am right now. But possibly and probably uh, the one that had the most profound effect on me as a leader was at the time Lieutenant General. Brad Hosmer, who was the superintendent of the United States Air Force Academy, happened to be the the first of the first graduating class of the United States Air Force Academy, and he also happened to be the number one grad when he graduated from uh, the Air Force Academy. But then he became the superintendent, and to work under his leadership style um, uh, and learn from him uh, as his executive officer was tremendous, and it had a great impact on me. But I, I, you know, I, I use his name as an example, but I could run a list of probably 20 different people, if not more, um, that have had a profound impact on me. Uh, and the, uh, the next one I would tell you is Colonel um, Culver, John Culver. And it comes down to uh, understanding how it is that you're supposed to mentor and give back. And, and so those two individuals probably stand out uh, as having the most profound uh, impact and effect on on how I lead um, both from uh, leading people and then mentoring people as well yes
0: now you describe your leadership not only as a servant leadership but through um, you know Christian leadership can you tell me a little bit about that
1: well I sure can my wife and I have a, um, a missions ministry in in Haiti um, and and at growing up and in, in, in seeing what, what what God's will was for for and, and how I needed to be a part of that um, led us to where we, we established this ministry um, missions ministry in Haiti where we have uh, right at about 300 but fluctuates now about 350 uh, children um, and in a school, not an orphanage but a school um, that we, we have opened up from pre-K, Pre-kindergarten, excuse me, all, all the way up to the ninth grade, which is how uh, the, the the steps for the public school in Haiti. Uh, and, and so, I I went and and also have a degree, master of divinity degree from Liberty uh, Theological Seminary, uh, right there up there in Virginia, in Lynchburg, Virginia. And uh, I thought that that was going to be what I did. Uh, after I retired from the military and came back here to San Angelo, Texas, which is our hometown, my mine and Maria's uh, hometown. By the way, we're celebrating our 47th wedding anniversary today. Um, but uh, it 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 was not just that. I'm pastor of a church right now uh, as well. So it it's all about serving God as he as he directs you uh, to do and being being obedient. Uh, to his direction and his will and way. So th- that's what I would uh, put the, the servant leader uh, part of that. And no matter whether it's in the military, whether it's here at Angelo State, uh, you, you still treat people uh, as, as children of God. Uh, and, and people, um, regardless of their denomination or faith, uh, need to be treated that way. And that's what we try to do here.
0: Well, congratulations on their 47th wedding anniversary. That's quite a feat in itself. Thank you. I'm speaking with Lieutenant General Ronnie Hawkins, President, Angelo State University. After the break, we'll discuss leadership, decision-making, and communications, and why it is important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking to Lieutenant General Ronnie Hawkins, President, Angelo State University. So we talked a lot about leadership, the type of leadership, but leaders have to make decisions. What are the most important types of decisions you can make as a leader of your organization? And how do you approach how to decide what you will do and how you will approach that decision making?
1: Well, Eileen, that is a very good question. Uh, and and, and it, it, too, runs the gamut. It, you know, there, there's always a mission and a vision for the organization, regardless of where it is at, private industry, public, uh, whatever it might be, uh, even in the business that uh, I started up, you, you've got to recognize what that mission and vision uh, is all about. But then there are people that work in, in the institutions and organizations as well So there are a lot of different ways that you you need to lead and come to decisions, but the biggest one comes down to taking care of your people uh, and and making sure that you provide an opportunity for growth uh, as well while you're doing that. And and oftentimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day trappings um, that we fail to recognize or realize that we aren't developing the next generation of leaders or the next generation of employees it might be. Uh, and so I would tell you the main focus of any organization, uh, while it is on the mission that you have, regardless of what that might be, it's on how you're developing and taking care of your people. You know, I saw that a great deal when I was in the Air Force um, and, and I take nothing away from the other services, uh, having, having served jointly the preponderance of my time. But the one big thing that the Air Force has always been about, and I recall that even back in when I talked to my father when we were in Peshawar, Pakistan, is I realized even then as a child uh, how well the Air Force took care of their people. And, and it's still that way yet even today. And so people orientation uh, is that focus and, and you can make a lot of decisions the right way uh, as a result of doing that, and then more importantly, uh, those people will follow you. As as the statement goes, they'll follow you through a wall. A wall um, when you do something like that.
0: So, when you approach a decision, do you do you make decisions as a committee, or do you think leaders should just make them, or in a crisis? You know, do you change your approach on that? I mean, you know, you want to. You you, you talked about you know having a people orientation. So, how do you approach the, the actual process of decision making?
1: Well, again, it depends on the, you know the, the the immediacy of the decision that you have to make, whether it is one that uh, you can collaborate to, to get to that. But typically, my my way of leadership uh, and managing uh, in. in in, in, is about collaboration. Uh, so I'm going to be asking people, not just what do they think, but how do we get to this point, and why have we gotten to the point that, that we are. But then there are times, that, again, that I, I can make that decision on my own, the SNAP decision, and that's, that's where we go. I, I recall a time, again, being an executive officer to a one star. His name was um, um, uh, Charles Bartholomew. Um, and, and I got in a car with him one time after having um, tried to fidget over a decision that he needed made. And, and it still sticks with me today. He said, Ronnie, we're going to make a decision and do it. Even if it's wrong, that's what we're going to do. But we're not going to sit here and watch the paint dry on the wall. And, and that, stuck, that has stuck with me. There are times that you can uh, reach out and collaborate with people. There are other times when you just got to make the decision based off of your experience and as well as the data and the facts that are in front of you.
0: Now, General Hawkins, you've had a, as we talked about earlier, a very successful military career making impact on our brave men and women in the military. What accomplishments are you most proud of that you were able to lead your team to accomplish during your career? And is there something that you wish you knew um, before you got started?
1: Wow, that's a good one. I, I would tell you, it takes me back uh, to the time that I was in charge of all communication information in, um, in Iraq, and particularly during my time uh, stationed in Baghdad, Iraq, uh, working for General Petraeus uh, at the time. And we were putting up a calm architecture um, uh, across the entire country um, that, that affected how our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, everybody, they include also the, the, the civilian sector over in the State Department and the like, uh, how we operated and, and even, even though things have turned differently than, than how we were during that period of time, uh, I see that as the greatest accomplishment um, because of the impact again to the people, the safety for the people, uh, lives saved during that timeframe Uh, and and then also the institution that we left there uh, afterwards. But I would then turn and pivot and tell you during the time that I was the director of the Defense Information Systems Agency, we, uh, that organization, uh, supported putting up a similar communications architecture in Afghanistan that didn't necessarily benefit the military, but benefited the civilians and in particularly the females and the children to where they could receive uh, information vis-a-vis the microwave architecture that we installed, uh, and that is still operational today. So those are the two things that I'm very proud of that came out of a chaos, if you will, um, that we know as war during that time frame.
0: Wow, getting uh, organizations to adopt change is always one of the biggest cha- leadership challenges, you know. First off, how do you approach leading an organization to adopt major change? Um, and I mean, because you focused uh, your teams on things that most people would have thought was impossible um, And any stories that you might have uh, that you would like to share, especially your, your time at DISA.
1: Right. Well, it, it comes down to figuring out again, what, what is the, the mission of the organization that you're a part of? When I came into DISA uh, it was predominantly what we would call a telecommunications organization. Um, we we made sure the phones worked, if you will, to simplify that. Uh, by the time I left DISA, uh, we were in charge of the cyber uh, security for all of the the networks, uh, absent some of the top secret networks, but all of the networks for the Department of Defense. Uh, what was created during that time frame, not just by myself, but through the vision of many different, the vision uh, of, of General Alexander, who at the time was the director of the NSA, uh, but was, what was accomplished was this organization called the Joint Force Headquarters, Department of Defense Information Networks, JFQ-DODEN. Uh, and, and as a result of that, we are now the United States, Department of Defense, and DISA, and specifically, uh, is managing the security uh, overall of all of those networks um, and, and, and that took the vision of somebody like General Alexander, but then the hard work and leadership of, of a group of people, uh, the current uh, matter of fact the current director at the Defense Information Systems Agency was a one-star at the time um, his name the Lieutenant General Bob Skinner and he is na- he was then, The architect of this this um, place that we call the Joint Force Headquarters, Doden, and now he's running it. He's commander of it. So it's come full circle from that perspective.
0: So, what is the difference between leadership and management? Then, I mean, do you see a difference?
1: Oh, I I certainly do, and and uh, I would tell you in most military. Uh, leaders recognize that, whether officer or enlisted, you lead people, you manage things, you manage programs, uh, but you lead people. Um, you don't manage them. Uh, you manage um, those intrinsic things that they they do, um, but the leadership is about uh, showing the way, articulating the vision and the mission, making sure those things are accomplished, but you manage the programs and efforts uh, that are done um, uh, by by your organization. So uh, that's the simple answer to that. And, and again, uh, I've just never seen a time where you lead a program, uh, although the, you have leaders of programs, I recognize that, but you, you, you lead people uh, and, and, you know, you you got to turn around and look who's following you. You don't follow, uh, programs don't follow you. People do. And so that's how I would, I would make that statement.
0: I'm speaking with Lieutenant General Ronnie Hawkins, President Angelo State University. Coming up next, we'll talk about how marrying your passion, your skills can really drive your career. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legend in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. And today I'm talking with Lieutenant General Ronnie Hawkins, President Angelo State University. You know, we've been talking about leadership as a major factor for training for military officers. What lessons learned as a military leader do you feel would be helpful to all leaders? I mean, now that you're in the public sector, now that you're leading a university, are there any specific ones that you would call out?
1: Well, the the biggest lesson from the military that translates over into the civilian life, uh, uh, contrary to popular belief, there are very few orders that are given if you will, from a verbal perspective. Uh, you, you lead people by uh, telling them what to do and, and not from a dictatorial perspective. Uh, and, and I think if there's any one thing that I, I definitely learned during my time in the, in the military, it was those that uh, ordered you around uh, didn't get much done. Uh, those that, that worked with you, uh, led by example, spoke with you from a, a, a position of empathy as well as uh, directness, if you will. Um, they were the ones that got the got the things done um, and, and got people to do the things that they needed to do. Uh, and it goes back to, as I said before, the articulation of, of what that mission and vision is all about is critically important. And we did that here at Angelo State University. We just finished building out our core values um, that that fundamentally talk about what it is we do and and how we come to decisions. Um, You know, and I can rattle them off right now. Integrity, diversity, uh, significance, community, and commitment uh, are the five that we have here. So they distinguish uh, how we work as an organization and how we make decisions and why it is that we make those decisions. It does not matter, Um, those translate also uh, into the core values that the military has, regardless of the service there. So uh, that's that's how I would answer that question.
0: You know, you bring up Angelo State University, and I visited their website, and it just struck me. The university is very dedicated to developing that next generation leaders to give back and make a difference. Tell me about that. Uh, you know, you just mentioned it, but tell me a little bit more about that. And, and is that what drew you to Angelo State University? You know, there's one thing to have core values up on a wall, but how
1: do you live it? Yeah, well, that's what we're doing right now. And, and we've just started that journey and we call it a journey. Uh, it's not something that uh, you, you do once and, and then you, you know, you know clap, clap and slap yourself on the back, so to speak, but it's all the time. But as far as developing leaders, um, it's, it's a, it's, that's the correct way to say that. You know, we, we teach a lot of classes on leadership, but teaching classes don't develop leaders. Uh, coaching them, uh, mentoring them, and working with them uh, is, is how you get there. And, and so, what we're doing right now here at Angelo State uh, is building out a, a program uh, where all the all the students that want uh, to have a coach coach them uh, from a leadership perspective uh, in, into being the leader that they want to be. Uh, That's what we're providing here at Angelo State University. We also happen to have, uh, uh, even though what we would call being a regional institution, uh, we have one of the um, most interesting uh, scholarship programs that that is available Uh, back in the 1970s. uh, Two individuals, um, uh, the CARS um, pulled together their resources in oil and gas and minerals Um, and gave an endowment to Angelo State University such that we're now giving out upwards of $10 million a year in scholarships uh, to our students um, to help develop them into the leaders that they want to be or aspire to be. And and so I I say, you know, we we bring in um, a customer, but we send out a product after it's all said and done uh, from Angelo State University. And we want that product to be the best leader that an organization can, can pull, pull into their, their organization.
0: Where, if a listener is interested in that, where could they find out some information? Is this on your website?
1: It's all on the website. If you go to Angelo state, I don't want to say ASU because that could get you to Alabama state or, or to uh, over there to Arizona state. But if you go to the Angelo state university website um, and, and first off, if you click up at the top, you're going to find our core values there. Uh, and then when you click into um, uh, being in student orientation, uh, that'll get you to everything that we're talking about, the car Scholarship, as well as the Leadership Development Program that we have going on.
0: Now you spoke a little bit about some of the leaders in your path that that, that had a great deal of influence on you, but you know, you, when you're mentoring, you, you, like you said, you're coaching, but what is the best leadership advice you received? Usually the best mentors have had the best mentors. <laughs> um, is there one that just sticks out in your mind?
1: You know, Well, st- uh, well I, again, the, the best mentor that I had, as I shared with you before was Colonel John Culver. Uh, and in fact, I, 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 I tell you, I keep a picture of him uh, in my Bible um, that, that I use when I'm preaching on Sundays, but uh, the the best advice he ever gave me was to always continually have a five-year map going. Uh, where and what do you want to be doing in five years? Um, and, and that, in fact, is how uh, I pulled together the vision uh, that we have here at Angelo State University, um, the and, and we talk about, you know, by the end of this decade, uh, we're going to be known uh, as a leader uh, in, in developing developing leaders uh, from an economic, from an educational, and from a cultural perspective. Um, and so John Culver, if you will, drove that into me, if I can use that term right there, but he, he poured it into me. That's a better way to put that. But talking about having that five-year map in front of you. And then the old axiom that I I learned from John Maxwell reading some of his books. um, I write those things down. I write my goals down. um, Because ink fades, fades slower than your memory does. And you forget that stuff. If you just say, yeah, yeah, it's up in the top of my, you know, in my brain. Um, But they're always written down. And I I look at them uh, constantly.
0: You know, we talked about change, we talked about having a five layer plan, but over the last decade, technology landscape drastically changed with the evolution of cloud computing, AI, quantum, 5G. You know, with your background of leading DISA, how do you believe this technology advances will change our lives? And what do you believe will be the biggest disruptor or accelerator for uh, technology going in the next decade?
1: Yeah, let me walk that one backwards. Um, the, the biggest disruptor I see taking place right now are the two biggest disruptors are quantum. Um, and I use that term um, without putting anything behind it because there's quantum computing, quantum security, uh, quantum intelligence, um, and quantum power. Uh, so I see those being, uh, that's probably gonna be the biggest disruptor along with 6G um, where we're going in that, in that direction. Uh, where many of the countries outside the United States have already started going uh, and traveling and using it. Um, and, and so I see those as the two big disruptors. But when I, when I start looking at technology and, and we talk about cloud uh, or things such as cloud, I, I see it from a, a slightly different, I'd say vantage point. Um, while I recognize that the, there is there is, uh, we're, we're using this term cloud. Um, it's, it's nothing more than where we store, do, uh, store data, uh, whether it was in a big mainframe computer or in a big facility. Those big facilities are still there, um, but we're, we're moving that information off of, of people's hardware or desktop, should we say. Um, but cloud is nothing more than big mainframe storing, storing information. Um, and we use this term cloud uh, rather loosely. And so um, uh, technology is definitely changing. I'm, I'm not um, blind to that. But the, how we use it more so is the thing that, that is very important. And, and, I, and I see that from just what happened with the COVID, the pandemic experience, and how now uh, you have people working from home more so now than uh, ever before. Um, but the technology is very, very similar. Uh, that that we were using even then, such as quote unquote VTC uh, and the Zoom technology, the ring technology, um, the Teams uh, technology is it's all it, it's all same thing just just presented in a different fashion right there, and and so it's those individuals that can adapt uh, to the new um, the new presentation and the u- new utility. Uh, of said uh, capability is is where it's at, um, and so that's that's how that's how I see it right now. Uh, you having know, grown uh, up in this in this, you know, I grew up with punch cards, so th- th- that's where I've come from.
0: You know, you didn't bring up artificial intelligence, and you know, uh, lifting and shifting your resources to the cloud, um, your compute um, needs is certainly uh, expand your capability because of the elasticity of the cloud. But to change the way you see, you can get your mission objectives together, you really have to leverage and, and leverage some of the new innovation that AI brings to the table. You really have to get your, you have to change the way that you drive your decisions. You, you brought up several times pulling the data together to make sure that you have the right decisions. Do you believe the, um, uh, the country, I know that uh, several organizations that did have their data house in order, was able to very quickly locate um, you know, key gear during the COVID uh, pandemic to, to get them to the first line workers. Uh, do you think that um, our Kushner's military is in a position to be able to do that, um, actually leverage AI in a way that is the right way for our mission objectives?
1: Well, uh, I, I speak from the experience that uh, you know I'm five years out of the military. Uh, watching what is taking place and the leaders that are leading us in this effort and developing the programs that we need, I would tell you that, yes, I feel comfortable with what it is that they are doing and how it is that they are doing it. The speed with which it's taking place might be a different story, but that comes down to the functionality functionality of of dollars more than anything else. Um, and, And so... You know, artificial intelligence, AI, is very, very important. The reason I didn't bring it up is, is I see it again from the, from the perspective of, of the algorithms that are now being used to, to determine um, the next decision points that people might want to, uh, to utilize um, to make their decisions. But um, I, I do believe the military is well-versed and moving forward. Um, not possibly not with the at the right speed that many would ask but they're moving forward in the right way um, to take advantage and have a competitive advantage when it comes to AI
0: you're listening to leaders and legend in government on federal news network i'm Eileen black and today we're talking to lieutenant general ronnie hawkins president angelo state university next we'll find out what lieutenant general hawkins advice is to the next generation Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on the Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and today I'm talking with Lieutenant General Ronnie Hawkins, President, Angelo State University. Um, General Hawkins, I would like to talk to you a little bit more about your background. You mentioned your parents and that there is a military background. But where did you grow up and where did you go to college?
1: OK. Uh, yeah, uh, again, now being a military brat, grew up all over the place. Um, uh, was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Lived in Italy. Lived in Pakistan. Um, lived all around the United States. But I call San Angelo, Texas, home because that's where I lived the longest. Um, we we were state. My father was stationed the longest, and I, in fact, graduated from high school here in San Angelo, um, and then went to Angelo State University, my alma mater here, um, on a track scholarship, and, and so. Um, this is where I went went to college and this is where I feel like I'd had my formative growing up years I was not the best student or should I even say best best kid last child on um, growing up I was always into mischief which translates into a lot of trouble um, but fortunately I grew out of that around the ninth grade time frame so if
0: you to that Ronnie that was like 22 years old and said uh, you told him what you'd be doing right now. Um, what do you think he would have said? Would he be surprised?
1: Uh, he would be totally surprised because the Ronnie at 22 thought he was going to go into the military for four years um, to pay off his because I ended up getting a, an ROTC scholarship but to pay off his time uh, for having that scholarship uh, and, and then get out and believe it or not, start and build a record store, and I do mean records, because that's what we had back then, um, and that's what I was going to do. And unfortunately, Blockbusters um, messed that whole thing up. And then, uh, as you as you have alluded to, Elaine, um, the technology that has come along since you know 22 years ago, literally 50 for me, it, it's it's totally different. So. Um, yeah, Ronnie Hawkins would not think he'd be sitting in the president's chair here at Angelo State University, leading the fantastic institution uh, that he received his uh, diploma from.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm going to change this up a little bit. You know, we've been talking about this amazing career in public service. And again, I want to thank you for your dedication. To this. But over the last year, we have had some serious social unrest due to some social injustices. And you're not only a lieutenant general an amazing career. You were one of the few African Americans to reach this rank. Can you give advice to the next generation of how to handle times of prejudice and how you overcame those moments?
1: Well, there's prejudice that exists subtly as well as, you know, just just in your face type uh, all of the time. And um, my best way of giving advice on that. Um, is, is, again, uh, from the Judeo-Christian perspective, and that is uh, you treat people as you want to be treated. Uh, you don't respond um, in hatred and violence uh, to any of it, even though you, that doesn't mean you don't get angry, but you don't respond with hatred and violence uh, to those types of situations. I have just not seen that uh, come to any good for both uh, all parties involved, um, and, and, and we, you know, we speak of what has happened with George Floyd and the like. Um, that is just not a, a, a good situation, and here we are uh, during this week, the, the, um, the sentencing for the individual that put his knee on George Floyd's neck is, is going to be done, and there's just no good that comes from that, uh, if, the, if you will. And, and and so mine has always been to respond um, um, from a from a Christian perspective in love. That does not mean people don't get angry. I've been angry myself, um, been quote unquote fighting mad at, at times. Um, but that would be my advice right there.
0: As a leader, you know, in a commander, you may have seen prejudice and injustices happening within your command. So you know. Right. There's one thing about you responding, but how do you coach and mentor some people that may not be maybe uh, you know situationally aware that um, you know there's an unconscious bias or an unconscious or, or more soft uh, prejudice happening to help you know help their leadership develop to be be the leaders they really want to be.
1: Yeah, Lane, you, you bring up a very good point. The unconscious bias is is with us all, and, and as a result of that, the things that we might see as, well, this is all good and well, well to do. Um, somebody else might see it completely di- different and it doesn't just have to be race, it could be gender specific, it could be age, it could be religion specific. Uh, and, and we've got to be able to listen um, with, our, with our eyes as much as we listen with our ears. Um, and, and, and then more importantly, see with our ears um, just as much as we see with our eyes and when people are letting us know um, that there's a discomfort um, even from a sexual harassment perspective uh, when you know those things are taking place you do have to confront them I've never I don't mean to say that there shouldn't be uh, some type of quote-unquote confrontation but it doesn't have to be violent uh, and, and so I, I think you have to bring all of those issues up to the forefront um, because when you're silent on them uh, they just they're, they're, they almost become a cancer if not they do become a cancer uh, so again that's my advice and, and that's what I've seen done uh, in the past and, and I'm not uh, I don't want to suggest that I haven't been one of those individuals with an unconscious bias that has said something um, that 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 is just not culturally or socially right to be saying. Um, but thankfully, I've also had people help me and work with me um, to, to, to bring myself out of those situations. One of them right here at Angelo State University, we now have a chief diversity and inclusion officer here uh, and she happens to be phenomenal on letting us all know, hey, you guys are saying the wrong thing you're thinking the wrong way um, and, and, and you're doing this, you, you need to be looking at it from this perspective. And, and those things help us um, uh, get better. And, and then it helps the diversity of our, of our organization. And, and I am all about diversity. And it happens not, not to be because I happen to be African-American, although I'm sure that helps perpetuate it. But I'm all about diversity for a lot of different reasons
0: you know um having BO in tech for the last 30 years there's been many times um uh where i've gotten to the table and and you know i i not only i not only i'm the only woman i don't look like anybody who else is at the table and sometimes it's uncomfortable to bring up those the, those learning moments you might want to say where you, you can give somebody a clue that hey that statement you just said was inappropriate or the way that uh, you're taking um, information that others are providing, explaining it back may, may not be well received. Um, the next generation is in these uncomfortable moments. How do you come back and, and provide somebody that learning moment without you know, creating anger or creating resentment or making them feel uncomfortable because you need to get them to respond to that information.
1: Yeah. uh, Again, it it depends. That's, that's, I got to give you an answer. This depends. Uh, It it depends on what position you're in. Uh, If like you and like myself uh, being at a higher position right now, um, and I will say it this way, I have very little to lose if I, if I open up my mouth and start talking about things to people. Um, Conversely, uh, somebody who's just starting out in their job, uh, that's, that's just not going to happen that way for the most part. And, and so you, it's the old adage, you got to pick and choose your battles and your strategy. Uh, and and all of them don't work all of the time. Uh, and, and you've got to recognize that if, if you're going to come back at it, how you do that. Uh, but ultimately, I, I would continue to say the issue has to be brought to the forefront, some way, shape, form, or fashion. It does not mean that I will go back in the military and say some second lieutenant or some captain or major needs to be taking on a colonel uh, for something that they've said. But they need to be able to get to somebody who can take that colonel on and bring to hers or his uh, perspective uh, to let people know, hey, we don't do that or it's not acceptable or these are the reasons why. And so that's why I give you this, you know, this was a very long answer, and I apologize for that to some extent, but it depends on the situation and the people. Uh, As as I have grown up in the military, I've watched many times, not necessarily overtly, but covertly, uh, where people have been passed over because of their race. And when I say passed over, I don't mean um, not, not promote it. They've, they've not been given an opportunity to do something because of their race. And you got to bring those things up. It, 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 they're tough, tough issues. They still are even today. They were back in the 1970s when I was in a second lieutenant. Um, I, I, the first time I saw an African-American general officer, I was a captain. And I, was, I had already been in the military for six years. We still have situations today where you don't have enough general officers um, who are minority, both from a gender perspective as well as a race perspective. It, it, there's not enough. It, it, we, don't, we do not mirror the United States of America. Um, and, and there's reasons behind that. And those are not going to get solved with the blink of an eye or overnight but you have to address the issue.
0: You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Lieutenant General Ronnie Hawkins. Lieutenant General Hawkins, I want to thank you for joining us today, giving us an incredible amount of important information and advice and sharing your personal journey. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening.
1: You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.